Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a CastBox original produced in partnership with our friends at Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and all of your favorite podcasts are there, ripe for the downloading. Sacred Symbols is available wherever you get your podcasts, of course, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot. We think it's pretty rad. To get each episode of Sacred Symbols three days before the public, completely ad-free, please consider supporting the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Perks for support include not only getting the show early and ad-free, but you can also gain access to monthly exclusive podcasts, and supporting on Patreon is the only way to get your listener mail read on the air, and much more. Plus, supporting Sacred Symbols on Patreon also nets you perks for other Collins Last Stand shows automatically, including the Nostalgia and Retro Podcast Knockback, the YouTube series dedicated to gaming called SideQuest, and the eclectic interview podcast Fireside Chats. Thank you for your generosity, kindness, and support. Without you, Sacred Symbols and all things Collins Last Stand would not exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols. This is episode 36. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined. Jesus, my mustache hair is like itching my nose. That seems like a problem. I'm joined by Chris Raygun. I'm sorry, Chris. I don't have anything for you today. <laughs> you got to shave, dude. I know. Well, I just got it shaved down right before I went to Philadelphia, so it's shorter than it usually is, but it, it itches the nose. It itches yeah, the neck a, a little bit. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Bit. I don't like the whole thing, but I, I can't imagine myself without a beard. I think I'll just always have a beard for the rest of my life. By the way, you're looking clean cut, but also the hair is a little crazy. Yeah. Is this a look? No, I just, <laughs> I just have no, uh, I have no energy. To put into myself in the right. morning. It's just like, ah, well, I woke up. That's fine. Yeah. That's enough. Yeah, that's the way I am as well. When it's the I, little victories. It's, well, it's the little things, I would say. I mean, I, I have no energy to do almost anything. So <laughs> I totally understand. Yesterday, I was, you know, a bit disappointed because I ordered McDonald's from uh, Uber Eats. And right. The one around the corner is now no longer on Uber Eats. So I had to get it from like further up in like Venice. And it arrived all cold and in and, and quite a state of disrepair. And I've really not recovered from this. That's since. pretty traumatizing, honestly. It sucked, dude. And I wanted to bring that up because Danny Rosa wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, love the show. Keep up the great work. Just wanted to let you know that McDonald's does, in fact, have the best Coca-Cola. McDonald's has strict instructions from Coca-Cola to make sure their cola tastes the best. They transport the soda in steel containers to ensure that soda always stays cold. Even McDonald's website states, quote, the water and Coca-Cola syrup are pre-chilled before entering our fountain dispensers, with the ratio of syrup set up to allow for ice to melt. We also keep our fountain beverage system cold, so your drink can always be at the peak of refreshing, end quote. So it is a fact that McDonald's does have the best tasting Coke. I don't believe ever. that at all. Thanks again, guys, and keep making Tuesdays great again. I don't believe that you know, at all. They, no, because it's all at the mercy of anybody working at a McDonald's. That's true. You can't tell me that like everything works perfectly at every McDonald's. Yeah, I mean... Then again, they have a pretty good group of workers at some of these McDonald's. As I told you, when I was 14 years old on Long Island, I was declined employment. Oh, me too. At McDonald's. So they were <laughs> shooting certainly higher than us. I well, think. isn't McDonald's notorious for having a consistently broken ice cream machine? Isn't that the place? Yeah. And also dirty. Like there's been pictures on social media of the ice cream machine like taken apart and it's like disgusting uh, on the well. inside. I mean, it's not a huge surprise. No, I guess. certainly not. I don't know. I don't mind, though. I don't mind the dirtiness. Just make sure the food's good. You can do whatever you want to it while it's back there. Just make sure if you want to put semen on it or you want to do whatever you want to do on it, just make sure it tastes good at the end. That's all. That's all I ask. Just season it accordingly. Yeah, season it to my season it to taste, as it were. By the way, just another thing. I've been on a real wing stop tear lately. 
And I got to give a shout out to Wingstop. I used to eat there all the time, but then I haven't for several years. I've never had it. It's a fine institution. It's I've a never fine had it. I like wings, though. Like, I usually get the original hot wings, but then uh, you can get on the side, you can order five more wings for discount or five boneless wings. Now, I've long contended that boneless wings are not chicken wings. They're chicken tenders. They're ch- Yeah, the chicken nuggets. I would argue. Yeah. That's even better. They're globules of chicken breast and dark meat, I would say. Yeah. They're- <laughs> and they're good. But they're, they're fine. Not, they're not chicken wings. But... I ordered a side of five boneless wings the other day because, again, it was a discount. So I kind of just like, all right, I'll take it. I'll see what, what's going on here. Those things are better than the wings. Mm. And now I just order the boneless wings. Now, do I contend that they're not wings? Yes. Well, you know what? Then I'll go to Nugget Stop then. Nugget. Oh, that okay. Point. Well, that's fair enough. You know what? Fair enough. They did have this garlic Parmesan topping for their wings, though. That sounds good. It's good. You would think so. Mm. And it's fine. But it's more like it just tastes like Progresso breadcrumbs on a wing. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) You know Progresso breadcrumbs? Yeah, I know. That's exactly what it tastes like. It just tastes like if someone took a chicken wing (laughs) and put Progresso breadcrumbs on them. I mean, that's fine, I guess. Hey, that's a taste. Chris, you're going to PAX East. This is a surprise to me. Yeah. So I forgot about it. I forgot that I got the badges like ages ago. So you're going and to Boston? Yeah. My old stomping grounds. Yeah, for three days. You've it's been to Boston huge. before? I've driven in Boston. I remember th- when I was driving in Boston, I was like, wow, I'm never going to come back here. This is the worst. Yeah, the city is, it's very much like Paris where it was built from the center outward and you can tell. Yeah, it's when like you a wheel. At, yeah, it's, it's, but, it, but Boston's like a disjointed wheel. Yeah, it's horrifying. Like a wheel that's been through a, a tremendous and impressive car wreck. It's horrifying. Now, I wanted to try to get us to do Sacred Symbols live there, and then the deadline had already passed for us to sign up. So I'm going to see if I can get us to do it maybe at PAX Prime in Seattle, which is a quicker trip to it. They don't call it PAX Prime anymore, right? They just call it PAX West now. So you're going to PAX East. Are you doing anything fun there? Are you going to go visit the hollowed halls of Northeastern University while you're in Boston? Oh, not even even a little bit. Right. (laughs) No, I'm probably just going to hang out at the convention center and uh, see if anybody is around. I don't know. I have a lot of friends on the East Coast that I don't really get to see anymore Mm. who go to these kinds of things. So... Uh, it'll be nice to catch up. A lot of these things happen in L.A. or like Seattle, you know. They're not going to fly all the way over here from no, PAX. No. And what is a friend? I mean, I don't even yeah, know. I don't know. They're those Facebook is. things, aren't they? So people can try to track you down. I assume you'll be planning or putting your plans on Twitter and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, I'll probably do like a meetup or two. I'll be around hanging out. Now, Chris, last week I did note, as people know, if you support us on Patreon, and by the way, Sacred Symbols, as many of you know, is supported on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. You can get early ad-free access to every episode, the ability to submit questions, comments, and concerns. That's the only way to get your stuff right on the air. And thoughts and ideas. But I did want to note that last week I noted that another one of our perks, which is an exclusive podcast that goes live every month, we kind of circulate between Fireside Chats, Sacred Symbols, Knockback, my various shows. I did say that I was going to do a Sacred Symbols exclusive for last month, but decided against it and decided instead to do something with my brother. So I'm just letting people know in case they're not finding that we will definitely do or I will definitely do what's called the long lost letters this month, which will be for exclusive for all patrons, which will be me going through a bunch of questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas that we weren't able to use on the show. So I'm feeling increasingly bad that I'm not able to get to everything people are writing in because we're getting lots and lots of comments. I put a thread up every Friday and that's where you kind of submit everything. And I could only use maybe 10 percent of what's submitted. I mean, you can't possibly expect that. (laughs) You could get to every single one of them. No, of course not. But I feel bad because it's like people are writing in good stuff, good questions. Eventually, I'm just kind of full. Yeah, no, for sure. Usually I try to put in, you know, eight or so at the end and then I try to intersperse, you know, a half dozen to ten throughout the show. So I apologize that people aren't being read more often, but keep trying. I'm trying to keep track like mentally of names and trying to like be fair and equitable. But just wanted to let you know that that exclusive changed. You'll get that other exclusive this month. In the meantime, the other exclusive is there. And please do consider supporting us on Patreon as your support is essential for us to keep doing the show. Reed Whittle wrote into us. 
He actually wrote it on Twitter and then I told him to write it on Patreon because I wanted to make sure not to forget this. He said, in last week's episode, you had mentioned Nino Cooney, Wrath of the White Witch, and Spec Ops The Line is not being available on PS4, but they are actually both playable on PS4 through PS Now. I was a doubter of the service while it was in beta, as, I didn't, as it didn't perform very well, but I recently subscribed, and I've been able to play Rage, Red Dead Redemption, Civilization Revolution, and others without any issues, so I really think you should give it a chance. Now, I just wanted to throw that out there. It is a correction from last week. We keep making this error on the show. <laughs> kind of not discounting PlayStation Now, but forgetting that PlayStation Now is a conduit by which PS3 games can be played on PS4. Yeah. So I want to be fair about that. Now, I dispute that PlayStation Now is great. I've heard other things and Reed seems to like it, which is awesome. Well, the issue is it's de- it depends on your Internet. It's all I game so. streaming, isn't it? Yes. I, unless you can. Can you download PS3 games? I think now? you can only download PS4 games on PS Now or no, PS2 games or something like that. You can't PS3 games can't be played natively. Weird. So there was something recently we talked about it on the show. I don't remember where you yeah. can download offline one version of the game, but I do not think it's the PS3 games, but mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that. Anyway, just wanted to shout that out to Reed. Thank you for the correction and thank to the uh, thanks to others for the corrections as well over time. We'll try to be more mindful of that. And maybe I should just try PlayStation now at some point. I don't know why I haven't yet. Steve Neely wrote into us and said, what is the difference between moist and damp? I think this is pretty easy, actually. Mm. Isn't moist? Moist is like a hard surface and damp is like cloth, right? Because mm. you don't think of like a wall as, oh, as a damp wall. You sure. Think of like a cloth is damp. But you could all, it could also be damp out. Or is it moist damp out? Damp out? What is that? Like damp outside. It's damp outside. Like it had just rained. Or it's overcast. Or it's got that fog in the air. That's yeah, dampness. I, I mean. But a basement is also damp. But not moist. Basements are dank. I've heard oh, dank. dank. I've heard dank, dank. used in that, in that similar fashion. I don't like that word though. No. I don't like the word moist or damp. Now. To be perfectly honest no, with you. they're not particularly good words. Damp's not as bad as moist, but it's pretty bad. I think I mean, damp is worse. You think so? I'm looking yeah. at it. It's a pretty bad word. I don't like the MP at the end. Damp. It's a bit aggressive. Yeah. Moist is like, ah, oh, it's cake. Right. Yeah, you it could know? be a moist cake. Couldn't be a damp cake. Can't be cake. a damp cake. Nobody's like, oh, man, that cake was so damp. Is there Delicious a- and damp cake. Well, here's a question. Can damp be used in a positive fashion? No. Damp is almost exclusively negative. So maybe that's the difference between moist and damp is that moist has a positive inflection and damp has a negative inflection. I am so sure that there are people listening to this who are cringing right now because they hate these words. Moist. Moist is a common one that yeah. people really can't stand. They don't like what the word represents, right? I think a lot of it has to do with, frankly, the female form. Well, right? yes. And that's why we're I all think so. I think it's hilarious. Word. I think that word is hilarious. But both words kind of are disgusting for the same reason, right? Otherwise, why why would damp be unsettling unless we're talking about private parts, right? Because no one, but no one describes privates privates as damp. Really? No one says that. Sounds somewhat erotic to me. Yeah, it's, it sounds. My crotch is very damp. <laughs> it sounds like a problem, like a medical issue. Sometimes my crotch is damp. You know, <laughs> it is what it is. I can't argue. Jason Bola wrote into us on Patreon and said, THQ Nordic continues its ridiculous endeavors by having an AMA on 8chan. What is going on over there? Were you able to make any headway in conversing with them via Brian? So I haven't tried to talk to them yet. I was going to put this in the news last week. Yeah. And then again this week. I don't really feel like this is newsworthy, but I feel like we should acknowledge it. Do you have anything to say about this situation? For people that don't know, basically THQ Nordic, who we always make fun of because they're just buying random things. They're probably in fine financial health. It seems like they are, actually. They did an AMA and asked me anything on 8chan. Now, I don't know anything about 8chan. I still don't really know what Discord is, okay? Yeah. So 8chan... Is apparently a, a like a 4chan board, and I think 4chan is like an anonymous message board. Am I explaining this well, right? Well, 4chan is a is a site, and 8chan is kind of like a spinoff site. I think it's the numbers of the chans get grimier and grimier as you go along. Like, 
I think I could be wrong. I think there was a two chan at one point, and then that became four chan, then eight chan. I'm sure we'll see a 16 chan and a 687 chan. Two chan was like outright Victorian, right? That was pretty innocent compared to. I guess yeah. I don't know. I'm not even sure if it's real, to be quite frank. Right. Okay, but. It's basically an offshoot site where people were like, ah, 4chan's too restrictive. But the idea is that you post anonymously, right? Like, yeah, no one yeah, knows that's... who anyone is, and so a lot of horrifying shit happens on this, just by the nature of yeah, the... Yeah, it's like baby's first dark web. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would I would kind of compare it to All that. Right. It, it even looks like construction paper. It's actually kind of funny. But, yeah, they did an AMA on it. Honestly, it strikes me as just kind of... THQ Nordic isn't an American company, right? They're, no, they're Austrian, and actually their holding company is Swedish. Yeah, so it seems to me more like they just weren't familiar with what it was. It doesn't surprise me that they th- they saw, hey, we want to do, uh, we want to answer questions on this website, and and then they were like, okay, sure, we'll do that. I don't know. I don't, I don't really think it's a huge deal. You know, in reading cursorily about 8chan, afraid to almost read too much about it. Yeah, uh, you don't, don't want to get too deep. Apparently, it. Google like won't even spider them, so like their stuff doesn't even appear in search because it's so heinous. And apparently well known for some really unsavory stuff, including, you know, child pornography and all those kinds of things. So I do think it's a big deal in the sense that, like, you got to do your research, especially if you're a marketing or PR guy. Oh, sure. But it seems like it was an innocent mistake. I can't imagine that someone at THQ Nordic was like, let's take this risk. You know, this is a big gambit we got going on here right now. Yeah. So I kind of think you have to chalk it up to just as sad as it is, I guess, just innocence and move on. Because it's very weird, like the conversation going on around this about how punitive it should be and how people should never forget no, that's you know? ridiculous. Like, it, it just seems to never me never forget. It just seems to be a, a lot of things. It seems like uh, negligence and a bit of a language barrier. I I, I don't know. I, I I really have a hard time believing that they were like, oh man, you know what we should do? Let's intentionally go to a place that's particularly alt right. It's like no one's thinking that. Right. No one's thinking. They're just that's thinking, another thing. Is that it's all right? Yeah, they're just thinking like, hey, this is a place that people want us to do an AMA on. Let's do it. Right. I think that's probably what it was. Yeah, it's like spread shop marketing. Probably not the best way to do it, but. Something I just wanted to acknowledge. I don't really feel yeah. like it's particular. We're talking about it at the top of the show, so I guess it's technically even more newsworthy than anything we're going to talk about today. But as you know, this show doesn't really work like that because, again, we talked about McDonald's at the top. <laughs> the difference between the moist most and important. damp, something about Patreon and PS Now. So really, actually, the order in which we talk about things has no importance or significance no. at all. I will say this, which I'm very excited about. Chris and I are going to sit down and do another Let's Play today, which will go live the day after this podcast goes live on Patreon. So by the time this hits free feeds... It will already be live for all on YouTube. And I'm going to start an arbitrary, completely arbitrary grudge match with Chris in Scrabble on PlayStation 4. I just want to see what happens. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Because we're supposed to do Kingdom Hearts 3 at some point, which we will do this month, because that's what won a Patreon. We'll put up another election for you guys to vote for another terrible game for us to play. But I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I got to wrap my head around this, like Kingdom Hearts. And it's a lot I to gotta take settle in. in. It's you a know? lot to take in for sure. So we'll get to that eventually, but I want to start the Scrabble grudge match. Just arbitrary grudge match. Yeah, just why see not? what happens. See if Chris is any good at the game. I'm decent at it. I don't know that I'm great at it. I've played with people that have like the Scrabble dictionary and shit like that. I'm not. The last right. time I played Scrabble, I was on a plane in 2003. Wow. So you, you play. Oh, so you, it was like analog. It was Scrabble. like one of those like weird, like portable, like yeah. kind of like in a zip sleeve. Yeah. Yeah. It's you weird. Know, yeah. It's like the old chess sets that I used to play with as well. Yeah. Which were even more unsatisfactory. Now, Chris. What are we playing? We're both playing, according to the notes, Far Cry New Dawn. In mm-hmm. yours, it says, parenthetically, a little bit. Yeah. I'm trying to play all these different things. I'm trying to get into Anthem, but Anthem's like giving me a lot of problems. I think that's mostly to do with my internet connection for some reason. Uh, we have horrendous internet where we live. I don't know why. I hear Estonia has pretty good internet compared to where I live. But I have no doubt. Eastern Europe coming up. It's wild. But yeah, So I'm trying to play that. I'm really enjoying Metro Exodus. So... I'm playing Far Cry a little bit, but I'm really detached from it. Like I'm, It's not grabbing me at all. 
because I just feel like I'm switching between Far Cry and Metro, and Metro just feels so much better to me. I'm looking forward to playing Metro. I still haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah, it's the game now. The but you're you're deep into Far Cry though, right? Yeah, I have pretty much completed everything in the game. I just have a few trophies to clean up. I've done all 30 fortress takeovers or whatever. I've done all the expeditions. Basically, there are only 10 fortresses. You take them over three times with increasing difficulty. There are seven expeditions. You do them three times Mm -hmm. with increasing difficulty. I've done 20 of 22 missions, all 10 side quests, all the collectibles. So I'm I'm playing it and I'm enjoying it. I like it, but I agree with you. Detached is a great way to describe it because I feel that this is such a shameless in a way checkbox game that like the story is not even important. Like I don't even really care or know what's going on in the story. I don't even want to spoil it because it's so weird if you've played Far Cry 5, especially like who's in it and who you're interacting with. It's a little strange, but it's it's scratching the itch and the gunplay, I think, is really good. Like, I, I love the way the game feels. To play. Yeah, it's not grabbing me that way. I don't like the gunplay of it. It feels weird. Like, I feel like Far Cry 3, I really liked. And then every Far Cry afterwards just felt kind of exactly the same. They do and, not in, and not in like a good way. Like mm. Far Cry 3 was special to me specifically because... I hadn't really played an FPS quite like that. It, it did feel like kind of like, oh, it's an open world FPS that I can like hunt in and it's like a genuinely good narrative with a compelling villain. Whoa, weird. That wasn't a common thing back then. But with Far Cry 4, it's like, hey, here's another villain again that's very clearly trying to do the Voss thing again, but not quite. It's right. a little bit different. And there's always the bad guy in the beginning that's like, I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to get all up in your face right. and then I'm going to do something wacky and wild. So, yeah. you know, I'm I mean, serious business and then deal with my lieutenants. and I'll see you in 20 to 25 hours. I, I, I would like to see them kind of do weird stuff. I, I would have loved if Blood Dragon was like a proper sequel that yep. had like a the you know, the a full team effort. Because uh, that seems like it could have been an interesting direction. Interestingly, Primal is the one that's most different. And that seems yeah. to be the one that's most disparaged. I like Primal. Well, I think it's disparaged because it's so divisive. And I think when you have something that's that divisive, I think that's almost kind of like a good thing. Yeah. In, in a way, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it. I just platinumed it earlier this year. I had played it when it came out, but never beat it. I don't know. It's interesting. There's just something about Far Cry games that I really enjoy. But I think the novelty, per your point, it's starting to wear off a little bit. Just because, as you said, when Far Cry 3 came out in 2012... First person open world shooters were just a little scarcer. Like they, they just weren't around. We had Borderlands and Borderlands 2 and a few others. But on console, like it's actually still somewhat novel to play a, a fine controlling first person shooter in open world. Typically, these are action RPGs or straight up role playing games or something yeah. like that. So I actually really take to Ubisoft certain Ubisoft games. It would be interesting to see that even that game Steep, I think, was kind of like a similar yeah, yeah, kind of open world <laughs> I forgot game. About that, yeah. So it seems like they do what they do, which I respect. But I think that they have to kind of retreat now with Far Cry for a little while and make something really special like three again i think that three hinged on the interesting characters and interesting interactions between the villains and stuff like that it was also fresh at the time and it's not really all that fresh anymore right well that's what i was going to say it reminds me of the uncharted quandary right all the time about which order they were delivered in and therefore this is the way people feel about them i kind of feel like if you even got five first that people would feel that way about five i am fully aware that that's the case if five had come out in three's place and yeah obviously not the same exact game but like the more or less the same story the same uh, functionality uh, yeah i would be like oh far cry five so good it's like why haven't there been better far cry games since let me talk a little bit about a pet peeve i have now i tweeted about this and it's interesting to hear people's interactions about this but Far Cry has one of my pet peeves in design which is that the game plays music when you pause it now i'm not talking about the game in the menu like when you're on the map or whatever when you pause the game the game actually, it often, unless you're in a firefight, right? This is straight up intestable, by the way, if you have Far Cry New Dawn. <laughs> if you're not in a firefight, if you're just walking around or doing things and then you pause the game, the game becomes louder than it was. What does that mean? 
The I game, understand. Like the game, like the, when, once you unpause it, it becomes louder. No, no, no. So if you're just walking around, there's ambient noise and and whatever's going on, and then you pause it, and like a music track is playing. So the game just becomes you're pausing it to get away or to check the phone or to, and the game is just loud. Uh, it's one of my like weird design pet peeves. We talked a lot about this with God of War. Like, why are the easy things so hard? And yeah. the hard thing's so easy, <laughs> apparently. And this is one of those things. You should be able to pause. The, there should be a pause option in every game, even unless it's like you're playing persistently online, where the game stops. Yeah. Everything stops. The music stops. There's no sound. That's the point of pause. That's exactly. what pause means in every single medium. Exactly. And it's just one of these things. And some people online were like, you know, you just go to the home menu. And I'm like, but no. Like, I want to pause the game and I want it to stop. That's... Easy to do. In fact, what you did, Ubisoft, was harder than what would need yeah. to actually be done. <laughs> you know, and the other design flaw that is not in this game, but I was pointing and talking to people and kind of interacting with them about was when games have timers, but they don't stop. There are certain games like Rogue Legacy on Vita is a really great example where Rogue Legacy start, starts counting the time based on your Vita's clock and doesn't stop. So you can shut the game off and come back a month later and you have played the game for 30 days. Oh, that's it. That's just bad design. These are just little design things. It's not that even bad just, design. It's just wrong. Well, exa- well, it's exactly right. But you have to check these things. <laughs> it's just incorrect. So I just it's just one of those things where like the little design philosophies in Far Cry New Dawn, as weird as it is, I don't understand why the easy things are hard. Do you feel like New Dawn in particular feels more like I want to be careful of how I word this. It feels kind of mobile esque. In the way that it kind of makes you kind of scroll past like monetized sections yeah. to get there's something about it that is rubbing me the wrong way in that way. Yeah, it is weird. Like when you I have so much so many resources that I never would need to buy anything. Yeah. But every time even with those resources, when you upgrade a weapon, for instance, it asks you if you want to buy currency from them or use your own stuff. And I'm like, I, I can't imagine you can click this accidentally. I'm sure there are steps to go through. But yeah. It is a little weird and it does keep shoving it down my throat. And as I said, I think last week, it is clever because this is one of the only games I've encountered where it gives you some of the currency you can buy. So it tantalizes you with what yeah. you can do with it. Well, I mean, I guess they do it a lot more often in live service games where microtransactions are a lot more. Yeah, apparent. that's foreign like, to me. Like Destiny, I think, gives you some some of that Eververse stuff. I'm pretty sure the Division did, too. I'm not entirely sure. I don't remember. But, yeah, that's a common thing. It's definitely not common in... These kinds of games, though, because I'm saying, microtransactions yeah. of this nature aren't weren't really all that common until kind of recently. I have no problem with single player microtransactions, but I do agree with you. They're plastered everywhere and you can really use them. If you wanted to just dump in 20 or 30 dollars, probably you could just buy a ton of perk points and all of these. stuff. Yeah. And I, I mean, it doesn't really break. It does fundamentally break the game. But since you're not playing with anyone else, it doesn't really yeah, matter. It, it's it's not like a competitive compromising situation, but I enjoy it. I think $40 is a reasonable price for it. Yeah. What I do like about it is that it doesn't feel too big. I I get overwhelmed by Far Cry games sometimes. This game is tight. There's a lot to do, but also not a lot to do. It kind of feels like the size of Spider-Man. You know, for 40 bucks, not really yeah. that. It just feels a little bit dated, especially compared to Metro, which has all sorts of bugs in it. But like, it just feels so much more interesting with what it's doing with this open world kind of formula and like the no waypoint thing. It's like interesting and like, ooh, this is new. It feels actually kind of unique. Uh, even though you could you could really just shut off waypoints in any open world game, but the fact that it kind of forces you into that. It's also worth noting that I was going to jump into Anthem next, but the game is apparently breaking people's PlayStations. Have you seen this? What? No. So this there's rumblings, and again, I didn't put this in the news because there's just not that much about it yet. Some big sites like Kotaku have been writing about it, but there's just not much corroboration from EA or Bioware or Sony. But rumblings were beginning that the game was actually bricking people's PlayStation 4s. And it's apparently not a widespread problem, but it apparently has been fixed in a patch. But Sony had been apparently issuing refunds, which is almost unprecedented for Sony to do for digital games. 
And then Kotaku wrote a story today saying that a developer was talking to Jason Schreier behind the scenes about how it fucked up his PS4 and stuff. So just based on precautionary measures, I'm not going to be jumping into Anthem anytime soon. I, I highly doubt it's going to do anything to my PS4. But maybe Metro is next up now because I was going to do Anthem and then maybe Metro. But I, maybe I'll buy Metro. When I, I'll be done with Far Cry probably at some point today. So we have that to look forward to, I guess. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Chris, let's get into the news. All right, let's do it. Chris, number one, the PlayStation Vita has officially left production. Oh, no. Rip. News comes by way of the official Japanese PlayStation website, as reported by multiple sources, which notes that the two SKUs that were last in production there, black and blue, have both had their shipments ended, in quotes. As you'll note, we reported just recently that Vita's, quote, shipments are scheduled to end soon, end quote, also according to multiple sources that translated the same website. So the website has changed over the last couple of weeks. As Vita has now only been truly viable in Japan for some years now, it's ceasing production there, officially and undeniably signals that we've entered the handheld's final days. Vita was launched in late 2011 in Japan and elsewhere in the world in 2012 and was the once promising successor to Sony's PlayStation Portable or PSP, which launched in 2004 in Japan and then in 2005 in the West and ended up selling well over 80 million units globally. Sony has never revealed Vita's cumulative global sales, though most predictions have it at around 15 million units sold. Andrew Mendoza wrote into us on Patreon, just like all of you can, and said, hey, Pride of Long Island and Cristobal Raygun. With the demise of the PS Vita all but upon us, I see a lot of Vitas on your normal digital garage sale apps priced anywhere from $60 to $100. My question is, should I scoop some up as a little nest egg? By the way, I have a PS Vita TV that I bought for $40. They're going for upwards of $200 now. From what I understand, they can run emulators, so there's that. Thank you for your time, and I consider my Patreon support well worth it. I love you both. Good night. Well, That's how he, he closed his letter, was good he night. He loves us. Thank you, Andrew Mendoza. So, good night, Sweet Prince. The PlayStation Vita has officially ceased production. And I think now I have to reiterate what I said a week or two ago when we first talked about how it was ending production. If you want a new Vita, you really need to act. Yeah. Because I, I just can't imagine. And I'm saying not a pre-owned, but if you want a new inbox Vita, then I think you really got to act now. That's my opinion. Take it with a grain of salt. Do what you want with it. I mean, that's accurate. It's, it's not even yeah. really an opinion, I think. I, think it's I pretty... just can't imagine that inbox Vitas are going to be. I have three of them just to be safe, mm -hmm. you know, and... uh if you've been on the fence for seven years, I doubt you're going to want to change now. <laughs> but if you do want to change, now is the time to act. Now is the time to act. So there's not much more to say about it. It's very sad. Yeah, it's a shame. It's very sad. Now, the PS Vita TV I never bought, which was a mistake, I think. What the hell is that? It's the little card shape, like deck of card shape thing that they released that would allow you to play Vita on TV. That was called the Vita TV? Yeah. PlayStation TV was actually what it was called. And right. it was like okay. not... 
it didn't do anything. Like that no makes one cared I know what that is. It confused me. The Vita TV. Wow. Yeah, it's technically called PlayStation TV, I believe. Right. I could be wrong about that, but I think that's what it's called. No, you're definitely right. So there's that. So yeah, just you know, I'm just throwing it out there. If you want to have a Vita for a legacy, if you want to buy a pre-owned one or new in box so you can open it or just have one to put away, like I did. I have basically a launch unit that's kind of on the fritz. I have a slim unit that I use, and then I have a slim unit just sealed in the box, just in case. Yeah. Just in case. I got one. Yeah. I'm even Chris has two one. on it all the time. Even Chris has one, guys. So R.I.P. to Vita. It really is over as we're about to find out games are still coming out and still being announced. So I don't think it's quite dead yet. I think it'll be more ceremonious when the last game comes to it yeah. or when the last game is published. It's in it. hospice right now. Exactly. But who knows? Maybe the PS5 will just be a big Vita. That will be great. <laughs> I would love that. Number two, Sony has revealed March's PlayStation Plus games, which will be free from March 5th until April 1st for any current PS Plus subscribers. This month's two games are a famed shooter Call of Duty, Duty Modern Warfare Remastered and popular open world puzzle game The Witness. As you'll recall, last month was the last month we were slated to get PS3 and Vita games as part of the service. The last month's last gen and handheld offerings will be available until March 8th, so you still have a couple of days. It's clear that Sony doesn't intend on replacing these lost games with anything, at least for the time being, confirming that we are indeed getting less for our money. Does this bother you? Yeah, I mean, not personally. It bothers me on principle, but like I don't really download a lot of these games anyway. But as a, just a value proposition, yeah, it's definitely like worse, like objectively. It doesn't bother me too much. Though. Yeah, it is objectively worse. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it doesn't bother me too much either, but I was expecting them to, do, again, I don't know why I keep expecting Sony to do cool shit. They just don't seem to do cool things anymore. But like, yeah. just like I said, with the end of the Vita and PS3 support, why, why wouldn't you give away a shit ton of games and celebrate the history of PlayStation Plus? And it's the same thing here where I expected, oh, they would have a thing where it's like, now we're going to integrate a PSVR game or we're going to integrate exclusive demos or it's a missed opportunity for sure. I just don't, I don't know, understand what they're doing. And it's so weird while this is concurrent with PlayStation Plus showing an all time cumulative subscriber high, you would think you'd want to retain people because as you said again objectively objectively speaking you are getting less for your money now and i'm just surprised that they didn't integrate a psvr game or anything you know it's just a little weird maybe that's the plan in the future and maybe they have plans for playstation plus in the future but if you're upset that you're getting less for your money now i do not blame you yeah because you are number three horizon zero dawn has officially surpassed 10 million units sold making it one of playstation 4's best-selling exclusives and a bona fide commercial hit in addition to its fantastic critical reception Guerrilla Games released Horizon on February 28th of 2017, and as a studio known only for one genre and one series, FPSs and Killzone respectively, they surprised and delighted players around the world with what is very easily their best game to date. Unfortunately, we are still awaiting word on its inevitable sequel, which is almost certainly a PlayStation 5 game. Connor R. wrote into us on Patreon and said, hello, Colin, hello, Christ, and he says Christ. <laughs> I'll take it. Horizon Zero Dawn just celebrated its second anniversary and has sold over 10 million copies. After some quick Googling, it appears that it makes it the best-selling PS4 game to date. Now, I just wanted to jump in. I don't think this is true. Yeah, no way, right? It's got to be, like, what, Red Dead? Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about exclusives, it's up there. But I think yeah. Spider-Man and God of War are both in that region as well. And maybe even Uncharted. Uh, so I don't know if that's necessarily true, but you could be right. So we, we just wanted to throw that out there. Very well deserved in my opinion. It was one of the main reasons I finally bought my PS4 last year and it became my first Platinum. Since a sequel is almost certain, do you think it would make more sense as a swan song game for the PS4, a launch title for the PS5, or one of those cross-generation games released for both? Also, what are some things the sequel could improve on or do differently? Thanks and good luck with the roaches. After my dad ha had his house fumigated, he found a pile of roach shit two inches high Whoa. in his garage behind some boxes. Holy wow. Two inches high. First of all, many congratulations to Dutch Sony-owned studio Guerrilla Games for yeah. 10 million copies sold. A Horizon sequel is obviously guaranteed at this point. Chris, would you like to see Horizon on PlayStation 4 or would you like to see Horizon on PlayStation 5? Ideally 5. 
But I, I do think we're heading into a weird cross-gen generation where, like, you're just going to get games on PS4 that kind of run less well. I, I think this weird cross-generation thing is, is going to be really different moving forward just because of how things have progressed with, like, the PS4 Pro and, like, the Xbox One X and all this. But I would hope that it's a PS5 exclusive. Yeah, that would be ideal yeah. from a consumer standpoint. I think what would be ideal from them from a development standpoint is to release it as a PlayStation 4 game. Now, I don't think that this is going to happen, but I do feel for some of these teams that really dumped everything into, you know, uh, now this is running, I think, on a modified Killzone engine. They use proprietary tech. Yeah. But it's the same stuff, actually, that I think Days or Death Stranding is running on. But it's a, it's a shame for them that they dumped all this time into this engine and to the fidelity of it to run perfectly on PlayStation 4 and then they have to move it. Now, I understand that because of the x86 architecture and kind of the PC nature of these consoles that I don't think that the segue is as big of a deal. And yeah. it might not even be that big of a deal for them internally if they were planning this internally to like kind of make that jump. But I feel for them if they have to like do a shit ton of work on a sequel to a game that didn't really have a chance to breathe on PlayStation 4 and therefore has to make, you know, some sort of fidelity jump in order to justify its release on PlayStation 5. So I think that we haven't heard from it or about it because I think it is a PS5 game, but who knows? And you might be right. These games might play between both consoles. I just don't know that that's smart to like continue to support PS4, you know? It's not necessarily that it's a smart or like a not smart thing. It's it's the issue is like, when is this going to launch? Because ideally... You know, the beginning of uh, any console's life cycle, you have these weird kind of cross-generational titles across the board, typically. You don't typically see it with exclusives all that much, but it really all, I feel like it really all depends on when this next Horizon is going to launch. Like, if it's going to be like a launch title or if it's going to be like a year or two in. A year in, I say you could justify it. But yeah. now that people are used to like, hey, run it better on PS4 Pro. Hey, play on everything, but hey, it's going to work better on Xbox One X. I feel like, you know... Our expectations are kind of shifting. And I still have the, am of the mind, and maybe I'm crazy. I still think that they're making a Killzone game. I don't know why you would abandon that franchise, and I feel like that game actually makes much more sense as a PS5 launch game than Horizon. Maybe that's not true, but I think you have or want to have a proprietary first-person shooter on your console. I think that that's very wise. I think the only reason Shadowfall didn't really shine as brightly as it could have when at launch was because there was a Call of Duty and Battlefield game at launch, too. So I think that that injured it quite substantially still Killzone still sold millions of copies but nonetheless I don't know what direction Gorilla's moving into but nonetheless congratulations to them Horizon is a great game he asked what we want out of the new Horizon I think we have plenty of time to figure that out I want much more of the same I think Horizon is one of the greatest feeling third person action RPGs ever made I think it's better than Zelda I don't know I always felt like because of the time in which it came out it kind of got short shrift too you know yeah, I think so. I could see that. I, it didn't really grab me the first time I played it, but it's also one of those weird situations. Games are weird because sometimes you can play a game and you're like, ah, this, ah, this is awful. And then you go back to it in like two years and you're like, wow, I actually get it now. Metro was like that for just like a one day when I was playing it. Oh, I hated it in the beginning. I was like, oh, wait, I get it. I like it. So, you know, I got to go back and like give it another chance. Yeah, Horizon's great, man. It's really one of the very best PS4 exclusives, I think. No, beyond a shadow of a doubt. I'd love to hear what you think about it today. Number five, we're not going to have to wait much longer for the official reveal of Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. The EA published Star Wars game announced at E3 last year under development at Titanfall and Apex Legends studio Respawn Entertainment and due out before the end of the year. Lucasfilm has officially announced that the game will be shown off for the first time at Star Wars Celebration, the annual Star Wars gathering being held in Chicago this year in the middle of April. As reported by Polygon, we also have the first snippet of what the story is about. The game is about, quote, a Padawan who survived Order 66 in the time after the fall of the Jedi Order, end quote. This therefore squeezes the 
the game as fitting in the Star Wars timeline after episode three. So we're going to see that soon in about five or six weeks from when we're recording this. Weird. I'm interested to see. It seems like they're going all in on this still with the end of year release date. Respawn is very busy. That's interesting that we haven't seen anything about it and it's due out this year. That's what they say. They're still saying it's coming out this year. Yeah. Hmm. Could be smart. I mean, showing it a Star Wars celebration, maybe hitting another beat at E3 and then just kind of letting things go, releasing it I in mean, October or November. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Fallout 4 did that. Yeah. But Fallout 4's was even more truncated, actually, than that. Yeah. Because I think Fallout 4 came out or was revealed in June and came out in October. We're yeah, seeing it was a game at E3. Revealed, yeah. We're yeah. seeing a game revealed in April, probably, I would assume, November. But it'll be interesting to see if they hit that date, too. And remember, as we were saying a few weeks ago, Disney seems perfectly content with EA and Star Wars games, which is strange. But I think this is re- this one really is, I think, going to be the make or break title for them in terms of their legacy with this. Can they really handle this or not? And we'll see. I don't see any reason to doubt Respawn. So number six. On last week's show, we noted in the news wrap-up that Overkill's The Walking Dead game wasn't canceled for PlayStation 4, but merely delayed, but that was apparently not true. Right after the show aired, Skybound Entertainment, the owner of The Walking Dead IP owned by Walking Dead creator Robert Kirkman, released a statement to media outlets that noted, now this is a fucking crazy, this is, the reason I wanted to note this is no one ever talks like this in the video game industry. I really liked seeing this. Did you read this statement? No, I didn't. All right, so here we go. No one ever talks this candidly, and I really like this. Quote, as of today, we have terminated our contract with Starbreeze Studios and will discontinue all efforts on Overkill's The Walking Dead. Our creators and their stories are the core of Skybound, and since 2014, we have worked hard to expand the world of The Walking Dead into an exceptional co-op action FPS. We did our best to work with Starbreeze and resolve many issues that we saw with the game, but ultimately, Overkill's The Walking Dead didn't meet our standards, nor is it the quality that we were promised. We are exceedingly sorry to our fans and share their disappointment in the game. We remain dedicated to providing our fans with the most premium quality content we can offer and will continue to look for alternative video game options for the IP, end quote. Overkill's The Walking Dead was launched on PC in late 2018 and was so poorly received, it currently sits at a 51 on Metacritic, that its console ports were delayed. When word word leaked that it was outright canceled for PS4, the game's publisher, 505 Games, denied those reports, which seems to have forced Skybound to say something, as one side of this deal had no idea what was actually happening. Starbury Studios, the developer, was founded in 1998 and is best known for its Chronicles of Riddick games, as well as 2012 Syndicate and 2013's Payday 2. The developer has been in financial peril publicly since last year, and we'll wait to see how this affects them moving forward. That's my, pretty, that's wild. My assumption is Starbreeze is finished. And and that is sad. Starbreeze has existed for almost 20 years. They're a Scandinavian studio with a pretty good shooter pedigree. They've made some interesting games, but the Chronicles of Riddick games, by the way, are great. Mm. Those are great games, especially the first one on Xbox. I loved it. Love that game. When one of the collectibles was like cigarette packs, which I always remembered. So we'll see how this all turns out. But you very rarely see that kind of candor, that level of candor about a game. This is not the quality we were promised. That's wild. Says we the publisher about the developer. share the disappointment. You know, I think we probably talked about it on the show last year, but Starbreeze is because of European laws and labor laws and all that kind of stuff. A lot of that kind of financial peril stuff happens in public over there. And so Starbreeze has been known to have money problems for a while. And I assume this is only going to compound that issue or shut them down outright. It's a shame. Number seven, The Division 2 is trying something interesting with its DLC. Last week, we reported on the roadmap Ubisoft has outlined, but now we know what its one strange season pass was going to contain. It was strange because the first year's DLC support was purportedly going to be free. According to Ubisoft, however, the so-called year one pass will give paying players access to DLC expansions, episodes one, two, and three, seven days early, as well as eight classified assignments, instantly unlocked specializations, and other perks. The season pass costs $40. It's worth noting that, as I said last week, the Division 2 Twitter account follows me. It only follows like 200 people. I DM'd them to see if they can get in touch with someone for me. I've not heard back from them, so we'll see if uh, I, anything happens there. 
Adam Basie, I think I'm saying that right, wrote into us on Patreon. Kristen says, with the Division 2 release imminent, can you talk about the past Ubisoft still gets on all things hate? Division 2 has loot boxes and a pre-order release chart that laughs at Anthem simplicity, including two collector's editions with different statues, making it impossible to buy one and get everything. They also have the staggered release with deluxe and season pass holders getting new content seven to four days earlier. As someone who achieved platinum on Division 1 and enjoyed the game and is looking forward to the second, these things still bother me. It seems the focus on gamer hate is on EA and Activision. Do you think that this is due to Ubisoft being a second tier type publisher? I am more worried the outrage mob will focus on these things next and Division 2 could be a Fallout 76 type response with a game studio traditionally getting a pass no longer getting that pass. All right. So first of all, I do think Ubisoft gets a lot of passes, but I think that Ubisoft's cumulative quality of game is way higher than EA or Activision. E yeah. And I think that's why they get passes on stuff. I mean, that's my opinion. No, I think that's right. They, I mean, they put out Siege. I mean, Rayman was like one of my favorite games like ever, like of the last like that's ever come out like in the last like 10 years. So the worst thing about them is probably the annualization of Assassin's Creed. Honestly, is that that's like the thing that really bothers me about it. And even then, apparently, the new Assassin's Creed games are pretty good and people like them. So I I mean, I don't know what to tell you about that. Yeah, I think that there's just something about Ubisoft in the mind of the hardcore gamer. All right. So keep in mind, first of all, and we said this before, most gamers, and I really do believe this and I still feel this way, don't really know the difference between publisher and developer. Yeah. Don't really know who's even making games or who's publishing games. I bet you if you talk to half of even Call of Duty's fan base, and maybe fan base is the wrong wrong word. Player base, maybe. Player base. That they wouldn't know who made this year's Call of Duty, and they don't care. You know, they don't know about the Treyarch, Infinity Ward, Sledgehammer, Triumvirate, and shit. And so I think that the reflection on Ubisoft is actually a positive reflection simply based on cumulative quality. And I, I don't know how anyone can look at their games. And I say this as someone who, that publisher has a big problem with me. So I'm obviously I'm telling you the truth, I think, that Activision and EA's cumulative quality of game is just far lower. There are no or very few anthems or Mass Effect Andromedas, you know, going on with Ubisoft. And even when you look at Just Dance or Trials or any of the other series that they do that they support that are smaller, people love them. So I just think Ubisoft gets a pass because while they do the same thing over and over again, they, they play the PR game right, they play the marketing game right, and I think that they react to players and what they want. Good examples with the Assassin's Creed thing recently, fixing that romance. They went out of their way to do that. They didn't yeah, have to yeah. do that. So I, I don't know. I think Ubisoft's just a different kind of company. You know, I agree with you that they are getting a pass. Uh, and I agree with you that the Division 2 stuff does seem confusing, just as confusing as the Anthem stuff. But people really hate EA. They really do. Like, <laughs> well, they, they really they've messed do. up so often. Right. Is the thing. That's really the reason. I don't know how I feel about this DLC thing, though. It is honestly. a little weird. So the DLC is free yes. for everybody. Yes. But the pass is like an early pass. Yeah, so apparently you get just week early access to all of the new content if you pay $40. Hmm. And I guess it seems like from what I was reading that there are also, ex you know, season pass exclusive stuff like assignments and you can instantly unlock specializations that would otherwise have to be unlocked in the game. Right. I don't know how I feel about that. Part of it's like, oh, well, the DLC is free for everybody and it's just being kind of supplemented by people who just have the money to buy these weird early access passes because it's a competitive game, right? There's like dark zones and stuff, right? Like there's PVP. There's that. It does having early access yeah. grant a power. Uh, it, does, it does seem to introduce a little bit of imbalance. Yeah, I guess it depends on how they handle it. I do like that. It's free for anyone. A anyway, like $40 is a pretty steep price. That means that the division two first year is a hundred dollars. Basically, if you want to pay that extra $40, but I guess I don't mind it if that's how they want it. A lot of people are going to buy that pass, you know, and I think yeah. a lot of people did buy it without even knowing what it was. So I think that this goes to show them 
there's a fan base here. That game looks so good, by the way, dude. Like I was just looking at video from the open beta, which is now closed. It's it's over. And the game looks fucking phenomenal. I mean, I'm, the game looks absolutely I'm excited phenomenal. to play it. I liked the division. I just like when I was playing with my friends, my friends just played it without me. And then I got to the point where I could just couldn't play with them anymore. It was useless. And I was like, ah, I'm not playing this anymore. Screw this. Number eight. Last year, Capcom revealed that it was going to bring its Phoenix Wright games, once exclusive primarily to handheld and mobile, to console, and PlayStation 4 would be one of its target platforms. Well, we now know that Phoenix Wright will hit PS4 on April 9th. The release is officially called Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Trilogy and includes 2001's Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney, 2002's Justice for All, and 2004's Trials and Tribulations. Once exclusive to Japan on Game Boy Advance, these adventure games eventually migrated westward for Nintendo DS beginning in 2005 and, for many players, were their first introduction to the wild world Japanese adventure games, visual novels, and the like. Its price point has yet to be revealed. I'm really excited about this. Are you a Phoenix Wright fan at all? I never played them. I know a lot about them, though, for some reason. The Phoenix Wright games were so, I think, important in an understated way, I think, alongside Level 5's Professor Layton games, where they were really interesting introductions to genres that we almost take for granted these days, which is like the visual novel, the Japanese adventure game, like Danganronpa and all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I think Phoenix Wright was kind of a lot of people's, including mine's, introduction into that in a mainstream way. And the Phoenix Wright games are fun as hell. I wrote the strategy guides for all three Phoenix Wright games oh, on, wow. on DS and absolutely love those games. And I'm really excited to play them on PS4. We'll see if they they hold up. I mean, even as a college kid, when they came to the West, we didn't realize that these games were old. Like these games had yeah. been out in Japan on GBA since the launch of the GBA. So I didn't know that either. Yeah. That's pretty insane. So they they lived again. And I really do look at this series and Professor Layton as just two really essential Nintendo DS series that really proliferated a way of playing games that we didn't really or a lot of us really weren't familiar with at the time. Yeah, I'm yeah. interested in it. I, I don't really like visual novels at all, but there was always something about the way Phoenix Wright just looks. No, he's awesome. He's a great guy. And just like Hold the it. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks appealing to me, which is like pretty rare for something like that. It's very silly. It's it's like Danganronpa in the, and I love Danganronpa, as everyone knows, but it's not as dark and it's not as complicated as those games, but it's very like suspend your disbelief. kind yeah, of thing. It just looks ridiculous. Yeah. And I think uh, I really appreciate that because like my roommates like really big on Persona and I'm watching him play Persona. I just like I don't get it. It's very I don't know what I'm looking at. High school kids. That's what every Persona game is about, I think. Number nine is a wrap up. SNK has revealed a new trailer for its upcoming fighter, Samurai Showdown, confirming that the game should come to PS4 in early summer. The game is, looks awesome. The old Samurai Showdown games are so good. Resident Evil 2 Remake has officially shipped more than 4 million copies, according to Capcom on Twitter. EA has revealed Apex Legends has hit 50 million cumulative players. Ooh. And finally, fighting game Dead or Alive 6 has launched and its season one pass, according to multiple sources, costs a staggering $92.99 for 62 costumes and a pair of characters. We have a very rare write-in for the wrap-up. We usually never do this, but Mark yeah. Zebro Jr. wrote into us on Patreon, and he says, Hello, Colin and Chris. Dead or Alive 6 recently released, and I couldn't help but be baffled by the price of their DLC season pass. Not to mention, this is also listed as season pass one. Spending nearly $100 on content with more slated to come out and possibly to be priced the same seems ridiculous and outright greedy. Do you guys have similar feelings regarding overpriced DLC, or could this just be a genius tactic by Koei Tecmo for diehard DOA fans to buy more content? It's way too much. Love to know your thoughts. Thank you, and have a nice day. I sent you the game. We got the game from Tecmo. Uh, that's um, right. Uh, you don't have to play it. I'm not I haven't used the code yet. It's getting strangely, you know, there's a lot of controversy around this game as usual with how people are reviewing it. And what's the controversy? Because the girl's boobs are flashing yeah, all over whatever. the place. Well, I, don't, I mean, I don't care either, but people are getting mad because the reviews are taking this so-called misogyny into account and all this kind of stuff and not really uh. reviewing the game. I, I think you kind of got to review the game, but the content is obviously fair game as well. Yeah. Yes, this is way too much, but this was happening with Dead or Alive 5, as I remember, and clearly people are buying this shit. So 
I don't look at anything as being inherently predatory if people are paying for it. Like it's your option to go buy it. If they were like the first DLC is one thousand dollars, I'd be like, well, that seems fucking insane. But if that's what you can get for it. Yeah, it's not predatory. It, it is. But it is egregious. Yeah, <laughs> it's, there you it's, go. it's it's like really them being like, hey, you know, why not? I feel like fighting games in particular. I don't know if you've ever played Killer Instinct. Like the no, weird, I've not like, played remake. the new one. No. I thought that one did an interesting one because the game was free, but you kind of like bought the characters. If you wanted to play Killer Instinct, but you only played like two people, you could just pay a very small amount of money and get the game and play all the characters that you would presumably ever even play. Or you could buy the whole thing and you can get... I feel like that would be an interesting model for fighting games to follow, not this weird like, hey, you could pay $2,000 to play as uh, Big Titty Number 6. You know, and like 50 of her clone Echo Fighters or whatever the hell. Right. It's not predatory, but it it, uh. it is weird. Uh, it just goes to show it's that so this expensive. That's the thing. It's like if it was like if it wasn't so expensive, it is ridiculous. You would think that I, I guess. I mean, I don't think they're dumb over there. I, you would think they would do with the math where it's like we could maybe charge like 1999 for this and get way more people involved. But they're probably like, fuck it. We have the data that's, you know, especially from DOA five that shows that people are going to buy this. So why not do it? Yeah, so not? who am I to judge? I got to put the code in. I'm curious about it. Now, Chris, we have the new game releases for the week. Oh, boy. Would you like to go first or would you like to go second? I like the way you asked that. You asked that like you read ahead and there was I something. I didn't read. I did not do the math this okay. week. Okay. Oh, man. Ooh, you, I feel like I'm being set up, but all right. I'll, I'll start off. Okay. Attack of the Earthlings. Whoa. Plot twist. Uh, it comes to PS4. Attack of the Earthlings combines turn-based combat and stealth in a dark, comedic single-player campaign where you take control of the native alien race to defend your homeworld from the invading humans. Oh, that's cool. I like that premise. Beat Cop comes to PS4. I could have sworn this came out like a long time ago, but maybe not. A retro pixel art style adventure in New York inspired by 80s cop shows. Stay vigilant and quick-witted, but remember that if you that if this won't work, you can always do some old school, old school jaw wrecking. It's the 80s after all. Whoa, okay. Bonds of the Skies comes to PS4 and PS Vita. A fantasy RPG with a story of friendship between humans and gods. The young Eli and the heir Grimoa? Nogard? What? What is that? I don't know. Enter a pact and set off to find the demon who cast their town into a sea of flames. Caretaker comes to PS4. Caretaker is an immersive first-person horror experience. You're an investigative journalist who's hungry for a flashy news story. Hungry in quotes. You heard about a caretaker in this industrial facility who has gone insane, ellipsis. Crash Dummy comes to PS4. Crash Dummy is a challenging 2D platform game. Blast, burn, and freeze your way through each level. Jump long distances and do some stylish ninja action wall runs in this story-driven adventure with a unique set of endearing characters. Crimson Keep comes to PS4. Descend into the Crimson Keep, an ever-changing labyrinth full of monsters, traps, and treasure. Discover the sunken remains of an ancient castle and cleanse it of evil. Uncovering secrets of great power could be your only hope of escape. Devil May Cry 5. I forgot this was coming out. Me too, yeah. Wow. Until last week, I I forgot. Yeah. Oh, okay. Devil May Cry 5 comes to PS4. The threat of demonic power has returned to menace the world once again in the latest entry to this over-the-top action series, blending its signature high-octane stylized action and otherworldly and original characters. Yeah, I'll be interested to see. I think the reviews are out, but I'll be interested to see what you... Are you going to play it? I'll see if I can get codes. I'm curious about it, yeah. I think I'll get codes for it, see if we can give it a go. Man, what a month. What a a couple months this is going to be. Indeed. Eternity, the last unicorn comes to PS4. Eternity, the last unicorn is a full featured action RPG inspired by tales from Norse mythology with classic game mechanics. That is another game inspired by Norse mythology. Look at that. There was two last week. Travel through mesmerizing locations, meet fantasy characters and fight to protect elven immortality. Whoa. Hmm. 
Ghoulboy Dark Sword of Goblin comes to PS4 and PS Vita. Ghoulboy is a retro-inspired style action pl platformer that combines the action RPG genre with hack-and-slash gameplay. Slay as many monsters as you can, collect loot, avoid dangerous traps, and defeat menacing bosses. Yeah, that game looks cool uh, from what I've seen. I don't know if it is any good. I like the title. The title's nice. It's on Vita, which is nice. I and me come to PS4 and Vita. I and me is a puzzle platformer to play the game. You control two cats simultaneously who perform the same action, manage both of them at the same time and coordinate their actions to complete the adventure. Sounds fucking frustrating. Be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. Left Alive comes to PS4. Left Alive tells a human story of survival from the perspective of three different protagonists during the devastating invasion set in war-torn Novo Slava? Yeah. In 2127. Experience the massive power gap between man and machine. All right. Wasn't there already a game called Left Alive on PS3? No, the, that was alive? I Am Alive. I Am Alive. Oh, okay. I think. There we go. Move or Die comes to PS4. Move or Die is an absurdly fast-paced four-player local and online party game where the mechanics change every 20 seconds. The very definition of a perfect friendship ruining game. Fantastic. That sounds genuinely infuriating. Yes. Good. Night Trap comes to PS Vita. Wow. <laughs> Originally developed by Digital Pictures in 1987 and released in 1992, Night Trap has been completely rebuilt for the PS4, bringing it to a level of video game quality, uh, video quality never seen before. That release for Vita has been a long time in coming, so it's finally out. That's crazy. Parazio Island. Parazio Island comes to PS4. Parazio Island is a free-to-play island life sim. Explore a cheerful tropical island, meet wacky animal residents, go fishing, or just relax and enjoy the scenery. Features a real-time day-night cycle, special events, and more surprises. Puyo Puyo Tetris comes to PS4. Puzzle game juggernauts Tetris and Puyo Puyo collide to create a fast-paced, competitive party game like no other. The game offers tons of gameplay styles from single-player adventure and challenge modes to ferociously competitive arcade modes for tons of Tetris Puyo variety. That game is supposed to be superb. I don't know. I've not played it myself. But I've that never game, played Puyo. I've not either. A game is When that game was announced, because I think that game was announced for Switch at the same time. I might already be on Switch. That game is supposed to be excellent from the people that I know that have told me about it. RBI Baseball 19 comes to PS4. RBI Baseball 19 takes the field delivering heightened authenticity for a genuine MLB experience. We've added hundreds of new animations, updated player models, every official 2019 uniform, more player gear, improved ball physics and environments, and more. You got to improve those ball physics. Oh, man, I got some ball physics for you. <laughs> Not for you, for someone else. <laughs> Good save. <laughs> <laughs> the Occupation comes to PS4. The Occupation is a first-person fixed-time immersive sim and investigative thriller set in Northwest England on October 24th, 1987. It's very specific. Mm. You play as a journalist in a detailed systems-driven world where people react to your actions. This game looks excellent. Really? Yeah. There's a lot of good things coming out then this week. People should go look up the trailer for The Occupation. That game looks fucking dope. Again, I do not know. I said the same thing about The Forest. I played it for 10 minutes and wanted to kill myself. Well, the, so key, word, the key word here is looks. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, the recommendations are coming from my gut, my ball sack. You okay, know? good. My grundle. Your, your ball physics. Yeah, my ball physics. Unknown Fate comes to PS4. You wake up alone with no memories of your past. Unknown Fate is a single-player first-person puzzle adventure with a mysterious story, puzzles to solve and enemies to defeat. Will you be able to find out who you really are? Your Toy comes to PS4. Your Toy is a 3D first-person horror room escape game that features an advanced non-repeat puzzle system with challenging riddles, heart-pounding escape sequences, and a mysterious na narrative that dives deep into your darkest subconsciousness. Mm. So there are some things here to worth taking a look at. I guess Devil May Cry 5, a lot of you guys are going to want to look at. Ghoul Boy, Dark Sword of, the, of Goblin. I don't know if it's good, but it looks fucking dope. 
let's see. Night Trap for all you weirdos out there. Puyo Puyo Tetris is supposed to be very good. The occupation looks great. There's a lot of yeah, a lot of stuff here. Wow, worth checking out. It's a decent, uh, decent uh, release week. Now, Chris. As we always do, or as we've been doing recently, I want to finish with eight questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience. Remember, you can support us on patreon.com slash Stand, where I put up a thread every Friday to ask you for your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. That's what Brett Medlock did. He posted on that thread. He said, where the hell is the Mass Effect trilogy on current gen platforms? Does EA not realize that it would sell a shit ton of copies and earn them some goodwill with its fan base, the gaming community, after the Andromeda and now Anthem kerfuffle? We've gotten so many undeserving ports this gen, but not the best trilogy in video games. Preposterous. So, Chris, early in Sacred Symbols run, we talked about how my theory about this was that they knew Andromeda was so bad that they never wanted to release something that made it look worse. <laughs> and I really believe that. I think that that was the calculus behind it. Right. At, at the some, time. Yeah. At some point during the development, they must have been like, listen, we should probably port these games and sell them. Right. And someone there was probably like, we don't really want to do that because, hey, we don't have to. On Xbox One, it's backwards compatible. Yeah. Maybe some of them are available on PS Now, and we don't want to call to attention the good Mass Effect games when we're about to release Andromeda. I really think that that was part of the calculus, but time has passed, and now that they are messing some things up and doing some things right, I mean, Apex Legends, for instance, is people are forgetting Apex Legends is an EA game, and that's doing, obviously, smashing numbers, and I don't mean that in the British way. Smashing! You know, that game. Smashing? I think now they have to look at it and be like, well... Maybe we should start considering this now that they've talked about the future of Mass Effect, now that Bioware seems to be in a little bit of peril because of Anthem. But the other side of this is, can you, and I'm not asking as a challenge, but what collections has EA released this this generation? This is the other thing where I'm like, I'm yeah, they don't people, do that, do they? No, Ubisoft releases games again. Bethesda releases games again. Activision releases games again. Actually, did I fucking totally, you know what? I think I totally left out the news report. I think I meant to put it in here. Just another piece of news. Modern Warfare 2 remastered leaked in terms of its trademark filing. So we should throw that out there as well. But I just think like EA does, and that's an Activision game, but EA just doesn't seem to do this stuff. So that's kind of my take on it. But would you like to see Mass Effect Trilogy on the new consoles? But like you said, they're backwards compatible. And I'm sure you could play them if you really wanted to. I would like to see them a little bit more up a little bit more smooth running. I would love to play Mass Effect 1, where the elevators don't take as long. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but, the elevator runs. You know, that'd be cool. Uh, but, you know, I'm not clamoring for it. You know, I, I don't have the time to sit through Mass Effect again. Like, that's a huge... Time sync. Yeah, it's a, especially, especially with all the, first, the stuff that I have yet to play anyway. Right. It's a, the first um, one's especially a huge time commitment. Yeah, but the availability of the, of those games would be fantastic. Like the, the Bioshock collection was like a really good idea. That's such a good amount of content for your buck right there. The Bioshock collection. I, I think there was like some bug issues with it on on PC or something like that. But it'd be great to have an option to experience those games again if you know in the future when I'm old and senile and bedridden. Yeah. Well, we're probably closer than not to that date. But I think that you're right. Bioshock's a great example. By the way, Bioshock, I should know because I've been talking about it and we've been talking about it so much on PS4. There are save issues on PS4 that even I encountered where I lost some of my progress and I forgot to totally mention that. So just make hard saves in the game, especially when you get the four frolic. Kyle Day wrote in and said, hello, boys. Great episode of Knockback Colin on a top five game of all time, Bioshock. So for people that don't know, I do a retro and nostalgia podcast with my brother. We just did one on Bioshock that was like two hours long, really, really in-depth conversation about it if you want to check it out. I thought this question could tie in well with sacred symbols. You briefly mentioned that fact that 2K is more than likely working on a new iteration of Bioshock. As far as the pretty open rumors in the industry are, Kyle and those listening, they are working on a Bioshock game. Not Ken Levine, but 2K. My question is, what would you want to see from a prospective new Bioshock? 
more rapture or Columbia, new environment. Thanks for the insight and for making Tuesdays and the occasional Wednesday. Great again. Now, Chris, the rumors have long dwelled that Bioshock 3 or Bioshock whatever is being developed in California by a 2K subsidiary studio. We don't really know anything about it. Do you want to see a Bioshock 3 or it's really technically Bioshock 4? And would you want to see it go back to Columbia or Rapture or would you want to see a new environment? I think I'm happy leaving Bioshock as is because it's so pristine to me and I'm kind of worried that any kind of advance, especially without Ken Levine's probably not a part of it, right? No, he's not. He's working on it. Especially with that being, I, I, I think Bioshock should be left alone. Honestly, I think it, all it really needs is like upkeep, like uprising it as technology increases. Like that's those are still great looking games, even on the original hardware. Like, granted, you have the resolution issue, but like it looks the Bioshock one still looks fantastic. Yeah, it does. Especially the water. It's like it blows my mind how good the water looks still. But those are really fantastic games. And I don't know if I really want to see another one. If I were to pitch something, I don't know, I would maybe a city in space. <laughs> I don't know, a city underground. Right. I mean, Prey kind of did that and Metro kind of did the underground things. So I don't know if there's much to do. I think that there's no way to escape the fact that a Bioshock, a new Bioshock has to have a new setting. Now, Bioshock 2 with Sophia Lamb and all that kind of stuff that going back to Rapture was cool. But we did that already. So and we went to back to Rapture again in the DLC for Infinite. So I don't think we need to go back. I love Rapture. It's an amazing setting. And Columbia was a surprisingly really great setting with a great story and this far right government and all that kind of stuff. It's really interesting stuff. But that's the problem is that someone had noted it, I think, when we did knockback in one of the letters they wrote to Dagan and I, that it's almost like Rapture and Columbia are the main characters. And you have to do something that good, like without that nugget, without that just totally laid out and bare in pre-production, you're not going to have a good Bioshock game. And so whatever they do has to have a setting that is the character. And I hope it's a new setting. And I don't, I don't know that it has to even be wild, like the underwater city and the, the floating city. I don't think it even has to be anything like that. It could just be a place. Like it could just be a place, like a normal place. It doesn't have to be on the fucking moon. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, you know, 50 fathoms a under city the sea. in the sun. Right. Exactly. Like, I don't <laughs> think it has to be that way. I think that you have to. That's going to require some cleverness, though. That's going to yeah. require some thought. And also the way it ties in with the Bioshock lore, because Infinite doesn't clearly tie in with Bioshock until the DLC. And then it ties in totally. So I don't know. I agree with you that I don't want to see more. I don't need to see more. But you're going to see more. There's no way that 2K is going to sit on Bioshock. And not try to extract as much money out of it as possible. There's just no way. Yeah. yeah I don't know. I'm worried about it. <laughs> I don't know that I'm worried about it because I, I would like to think that with all the rumors for many years that this game was in development, that maybe it just never comes out or maybe they're just not going to release it. Ginkgo Swag wrote into us. Oh, good name. Said, Dear Colin and Chris, due to the influx of criticism on Anthem these past two weeks, do you think games from exceptional studios should be criticized or held to a higher standard than other games developed by lesser known studios? The answer to this is yes. Yeah. Now... There's a pedigree. Yeah, there's expectations, but I think you have to tie it in with the publisher, too. We talked about the overkills Walking Dead. I don't think that as sad as that story is, I don't think anyone's surprised that a 505 Games published game is bad. Like, no offense to them, but I don't think that's a surprise. It's not like Sony published it and Naughty Dog made it. Yeah. So I think that like when you have Bioware attached to it and you have EA and all that money and all that time and those resources, yeah, expectations should be high. And the reality is, is the same with Fallout 76. People are enjoying Anthem. There's like a lot of people really like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's not a horrendous game at all. But you had mentioned earlier, Chris, that you were trying to still get into it. I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt that it's not the game because I was having some issues on Apex also, which is why I've just been (laughs) playing Metro. Right. I don't need to deal with any of that. Yeah. Just retreat to your single player recluse. Now, I think that it's important that we hold developers and and particularly publishers feet to the fire. I I don't like, as I mentioned yesterday or last week, rather, like there's all this hate on Bioware. Yeah. Bioware made the game. They obviously didn't make a great game. 
but EA is the one funding it. EA is the one producing it. EA is the one funneling it in the directions it goes into. And so I think that we have to be more mindful to mostly blame the publisher. It's not to let the developers off the hook, but it's to let them know that really these games are being developed with the blessing of a moneyed interest that's yeah. telling them what to do. It's not like Bioware just does whatever they want. I mean, that's not the way it works. Yeah, no, they answer to people. Right, exactly. So yeah, hold feet to the fire, but I really think EA's feet needs to be held to the fire. And it's the same thing with Bethesda and Fallout 76, where Bethesda Game Studios, as I've kind of mentioned in the past, I'm not convinced Bethesda Game Studios even made Fallout 76. <laughs> I'm still not convinced that that, that that actually happened. I can't blame you. You know, like, I, and it's not because of the nature of the game. It's just based on the fact that I just don't believe it. I just think that some, like the studio in Texas made it, Bethesda Game Studios put its name on it and worked on it, but put its name on it to give it some gravitas. And that's kind of imploding on them. And that was maybe a mistake. Yeah. And so you really should be blaming Bethesda, the publisher, not Bethesda Game Studios, the developer per se. But there's a lot of blame to go around. So, yes, continue to hold publishers and developers feet to the fire. You deserve the very best games you pay for. Yeah. You pay for them. And also, it's important to just take a developer's history into account. Like if a no name indie studio had come out with Anthem, people would be very impressed because there would be nothing to go off of. But the fact that there's no incredible story attached to Anthem, the fact that there's dialogue choices, but they're just kind of there as a as kind of like lip service to what they did before. Right. That's the problem is that you're playing with people's expectations. Michael Miller wrote it and said, greeting CNC with the recent drama surrounding Anthem's launch. It got me thinking, do you think we're about to hit a breaking point in the industry where publishers and devs revert back to making more or for lack of a better word, simple games? I know live services still bring in tons of money for the publisher, but it seems like with almost every live service game that's released, there's always controversy attached to it, underperforming, layoffs, loot boxes. I know this is probably wishful thinking on my part since I'm primarily a single player guy, but I'd be interested in what you guys had to say. Thank you for everything you guys do. So what's it's, simple mean? I don't what's know. What's a simple game? I guess what he means is something straightforward, something without connectivity, something that's easy to wrap your mind around. Yeah, that is kind of an amorphous and, and word that lacks definition, but yeah. I understand what he's saying in the main. Yeah. And... I think what's important to note, first of all, I attempted, I had a little bit of a writer's block with SideQuest lately. That's why no SideQuest videos have gone up because I just, I've been starting scripts and I can't really get to where I'm going. And I was working on a script about this and I guess I could still be working on it. Maybe it's not necessarily dead where I'm like, is it time to have a reactionary movement in games? Is, is a publisher wily enough out there to see what's happening and realize that maybe with the success of Sony's first party games, et cetera, that maybe people do want single player tight well-produced experiences and that they can live alongside the anthems and the apex legends of the world. But per your point, Michael, I think that they have to follow the money and the biggest risk reward is in going for live services. It can ruin your entire studio, but if you win like apex legends is winning or like, you know, PUBG won or like whatever Fortnite won, then you basically just print money, <laughs> billions of dollars. Yeah. So uh, I think that they have to take in that risk reward. Every development cycle is a risk reward proposition. For sure. But I don't know. I don't know what they want. I I'm a little puzzled by, because of the nature of four or five year development cycles, how anyone's going to react to this in a timely fashion. No offense. It's not like making a TV series, like a, a season of TV or anything like that. Like this takes years. And by the time the game comes out, so much has changed already. It's about the games that are at the forefront of the change yeah. that went. Last year, there was a total of maybe one single-player, narrative-driven FPS that I could think of, and it was, like, Far Cry. This year, we got we got this Far Cry. We've got Rage coming up. We've got Doom coming up. I think people understand that there's still a huge market for single-player games. I don't think single-player games are going away. I think more people are actually... They are actually interested in developing them, I think partly because of Sony. I wouldn't worry about it. I'm not too worried about it either. Plus, we're going to get Borderlands 1, which leaked, you know, a while ago. That's definitely coming out this year for PS4. And 
Borderlands 3 is probably going to be revealed, it seems like, at PAX East. So maybe that even comes out this year. So there's a lot of the looter, shooter, I hate that term, but a lot of that stuff's going on. I'm more concerned, and why I think Metro Exodus sticks out so much, and, and in a nice way, and in a good way, is that a lot of these games have the same cycle of loot and reward and check boxes and stuff, while Metro is just different. So I think from that perspective, you kind of have to give some accolades to 4A games and the Deep Silver for publishing it and for developing it because it is a single player narrative driven game, but it's not a Ubisoft game for better or for worse. Yeah. It's not a Ubisoft game. It's, it's, it's not, it's definitely yeah. taking lessons from like AAA and like open world. You haven't messed with Metro at all, right? No, not you know what I love about it. There's side missions that don't give you anything. I like that too. They don't give you any XP bonuses or like perks or anything. It's just like, you just hey, do it. They, they have confidence. They're just like, Hey, these side missions are really good. You're going to want to do them because they're good. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's your reward. And maybe some trophies. Maybe some trophies. Jason Gardner wrote into us, Chris, and said, Hello, Colin and Chris. I wanted to ask you what you thought of the history of the PlayStation game cases, and which do you find the most aesthetically pleasing on your shelf? Is it the blue PS4 cases, or perhaps the PS1 jewel case, or perhaps the red greatest hit variation? I personally think the Doom greatest hits case looks really good. Long live all CLS shows and content with an exclamation point. Ooh. We appreciate that, Jason. It's funny, man, because... I actually think the PS4 cases alongside the Vita cases created such a vibrant and aesthetically pleasing and continuous aesthetic look, as it were. I remember when the Vita cases came out, the Vita cases came out first, and then the PS4 cases came out and looked like the Vita cases. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like the the blue aesthetic, they look nice next to each other on the shelf. So I think... The PS4 cases look the best. I am also a big fan of blue. I love the color blue. I love the jewel cases. I love the PS1 jewel cases so much. They remind me of just like looking at all the music I used to have when I was a kid. Yeah, I really like the PS1 jewel cases. One of the things that irritates me the most about the Xbox One is their hideous box design. I don't mind the green so much, but like if you've ever seen Xbox One games on a shelf, it's just this long swath of like a really uninteresting gray. And it's like, why'd you do that? The actual case, like not just the little thing that says Xbox, the rest of it is just gray. I think there's a battle, like a visual battle going on between like, do we want this to stand out or do we want it to be like, it looks adult and it belongs like on your entertainment system, right? Like it's not, I think that that has something to do with it. Maybe. I don't really know for sure, but I think that that, as we advance the consoles into a place that belongs in your entertainment system as opposed to your bedroom or your basement, which we've been at for a long time, I just wonder if the cases are being made with that aesthetic in mind. It's funny because a a listener of Knockback sent Dagan and I a Master System with a bunch of games, which was really cool. And the Master System has this really consistent aesthetic for people that don't know, where it's like like graphs and like the names on the side. So like it just looks like a set of books, basically. It's kind of nice. You know, it's interesting as opposed to like just seeing... You know, the one, the top PS4 logo is the same, but then there's like logos in different colors and shit, and it doesn't look yeah. too, yeah, I don't, I don't know, maybe I'm a little too OCD. Chris, we have three more questions from the audience. Let's do it. Bracken Tate wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, hope you're both doing well. Colin often mentioned not being a stakeholder in Sony or Microsoft and Nintendo for that matter. Is this for the reason of remaining impartial as you discuss the industry or because you view them as too volatile a market or just not into investments in stocks? Keep up the great work. No, I wanted to answer this because this did come up and I I felt like it was brought up too much in passing. I don't own video game stock because I just don't own it. If I ever did want to buy video game stock or a company like so I would never buy Sony stock or anything, but stock with a company, I would let you guys know. I don't think it's a 
conflict of interest as long as you guys know. You just have to disclose it. That's literally it. Right, exactly. And then you're fine. I have no interest in owning stock in video game companies personally. Yeah. Like, that's just me, but maybe that will uh, become possible one day, and if that ever becomes possible or whatever, you guys will know. But otherwise, no, it it has nothing to do with impartiality. It's not necessarily important that a a reviewer or a public figure or somebody who does a podcast on a specific thing or like a critic of of anything, it's not important that they remain unbiased. It's important that you just know what those biases are. Right. So... The one thing that I will note, and I agree with you, the one thing that I will note is that that's why I believe in the continuity of Sacred Symbols and other shows is to get the people, get to know us and get to know our opinions. Yeah. Because I don't want to be repetitive and say like, as I, I, because I always say it, as I've said before, I say that for people that don't know, but a lot of people do know. And so I think it's important to get to, not necessarily us, but to get to know your critics, get to know who you turn to for these opinions. And then you can kind of create your own gauge in your mind of what you should trust and what you shouldn't trust and who's right and who's wrong. And Joseph Dazzle wrote in and said, hey, Colin, pride of Long Island and silly Chris. With the recent disaster that was the PlayStation Classic, is it possible we might ever see PS1 Classics on a numerical PlayStation console again? With PS4 absent of this catalog of titles, there are a fair amount of players that still want to play these games with added visuals and possibly trophy support. Or did the PlayStation Classic kill any chance of that happening in the near future? A special note to Colin, I was born on Long Island in Mastic, that's right around the corner from me, and Ragtime Pizza is the best, it was the best, Ragtime Pizza no longer exists, sadly. That's my favorite pizza place on Long Island. It no longer exists. What a shame. It didn't go out of business either, what ended up happening was that the guy, we used to call him, his name was Mike, the owner. We called him Mike Ragtime. That wasn't his real name. I was about to guess that. (laughs) And he has a few sons. One of the sons actually lived in my neighborhood, bought a house in my dad's neighborhood. But he, none of them wanted to take the business over. And he wanted to retire. So he sold the business. So thank you, Joseph, for your inquiry, son of a fellow son of Long Island. Now, I think he's talking about two different things. I think PlayStation Classic has murdered, absolutely unceremoniously murdered, any chance in the near future or even in the far-flung future that we ever get something like that again. Yeah, like we're not going to get a PS2 Classic. Right, no way. I feel like the failure of the PS Classic almost kind of ensures that we might actually get more emulation of uh, older titles on future hardware. That's a great point, Chris. That's a great point. A fabulous point, actually, because I don't think it would be wise for them to just isolate these things on dying consoles. Right now, you have to have a PS3 or Vita to play PS1 Classics. That's not an acceptable solution moving into 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. So what I anticipate, and who the fuck knows if it's true, but what I anticipate is a virtual console-like thing on PS5 that allows you to go back and play these PS1 classics. That will be, I think, a really exciting thing, because as you remember, they used to kind of tease out back when PSN didn't release many games. They used to tease out PS1 classics. I don't know if anyone remembers this, but like in 07, 08, 09, like a PS1 classic will be announced or ESRB rated and it would come out alongside like two PSN games. That's not the ecosystem we live in anymore. Now, like teasing those things out doesn't make any sense. What would be very fun and very cool and what Nintendo should have always done but didn't do and still hasn't done is say like, hey, we have PS1 classics on PS5. They're all there. We will add to them as we get more rights, but they're all there right now. Everything that's ever been available. Have fun. Maybe a subscription service, something like that. Maybe it's part of PS Plus. Maybe PS Plus lets you download those for free. There's a lot of interesting things, but I cannot imagine a PS5 without backwards compatibility with PS4 and I cannot imagine a PS5 that doesn't allow you to play PS1 games digitally. I don't think you're going to be able to put the disc into the, the console. So yeah. get over that for any of you five people out there that are holding on to that dream. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think the PS1 Classic affects it at all in, in that sense. I think the only thing that really affects it more than the PS1 Classic could is the fact that we're seeing all these remasters like, hey, Spyro Reignited, hey, Crash Team Racing Nitro Fuel mm. or, or like Medieval Remake. I feel like those are the things that makes it a little like, uh, is this redundant? But the PS1 Classic is definitely not part of that equation. My assumption is, is that the price has mostly been paid. This seems like all upside, right? The mm-hmm. games are already ESR- ESRB rated. And to be re-released, I think they would need to be ESRB rated again. But if you were emulating them, 
they wouldn't need, they wouldn't need to be I don't have to. I don't I don't especially if it exists in its exact same form. Yeah, like in other words, I'm wondering if they just had a module on PS5 that somehow connected to a backdoor to that part of the PSN that allowed you to grab PS1 classics, then there in other words, there's literally no money being lost. Like it, that's no. all upside. Every $5 game, they get three bucks. A first party game, they get all of it. Just over and over and over again. Just make that module available. I think that would be very wise. As I've said before, and I think a lot of people share this, I'm getting really concerned about PS5, but it's only through silence. It's not because of anything I'm hearing. And the more I hypothesize about what it could be, I get excited again. Victor A. Ramos wrote in with the final inquiry. He says, dearest Mr. Moriarty and Christopher R. Gunsmith. Mm. First of all, I became a Patreon today and I'm very excited to finally be able to help you guys out. Thank you so much, Victor. When Sacred Symbols was announced, I fucking lost it. My favorite games critic joined by my favorite YouTuber on a podcast centered around my favorite console. Doesn't get any better than that. Well, welcome. And I'm yeah, so glad to hear that. I can't focus on a game if it doesn't have an interesting story and compelling characters. So this is a real issue for me, and I feel I am in the minority. For instance, I love Bioshock, and it's only true sequel, Bioshock Infinite. And I think those games set the bar for, set the bar for what storytelling games can be. But I feel that with very few exceptions, the stories in our games are mediocre at best. Colin, I know you are a completionist, so you will always try to get that shiny platinum trophy, but I can't help myself to finish games with poor storytelling. Do you feel like we are not getting enough games with extraordinary narratives anymore? What can be done to solve this besides voting with our wallet? Thank you for everything you do. Love from Buenos Aires, Argentina. I don't know that I agree with this. Yeah, I feel like we're getting pretty good stories, actually. I don't think that we're getting extraordinary stories. We were just talking about Far Cry New Dawn, right? Yeah. Totally throwaway game with no story. Far Cry 5 story was pretty good. But I think what we're getting and I think what this listener is maybe not seeing or just doesn't agree with is we're getting enough games with high caliber stories that act as part of the meal. And then you move on to another game that's a different part of the meal, like the mashed potatoes. Yeah. Not every game needs to be this, you know, hyper, like very well made story narrative driven experience. Some games can just be you know, a prototype kind of game. Exactly. And so thinking back in the last year or just thinking about in 2018, we got Detroit, we got God of War, we even got Spider-Man, which was very heavily story driven. Red Dead. And we got Red Dead and we got, you know, Far Cry 5 to an extent and a lot of other games that really were quite exhaustive in their storytelling, which I liked. And even Far Cry, I don't want to be unfair to Far Cry New Dawn. Far Cry New Dawn tells its stories in tons, I mean, there are tons of them, tons of letters written all over them, like literally hundreds of them. You don't always need to be in that space, or at least I don't. So it sounds like he's a story-driven gamer, which I respect, and I think that's great, but I look forward to the Poyo Poyo Tetrises and yeah. the, you know, whatever, game time spinners and all those games that don't really have deeper, compelling stories, because I want to play. If I only want story, then there's no reason for me to only play games, I can, and I do read books and stuff, so and watch TV shows and stuff, so I'm just not of the mind that we need to have a monotypical yeah. video game industry. And there's a lot of games with bad stories that are actually pretty fantastic <laughs> fantastic to yeah. play. Oh, I'm, Red it, Faction Gorilla is a pretty good one. It's usually that way, I think. I think that you can forgive the story or the story gets rote or tiring, but the game's still fun. Dying Light was like that. I think Dying Light has yeah. a cool story and an in- a really great setting. It's Turkish, almost Middle Eastern Mediterranean setting is very unique. It's a great game. But it's a great game because it's fun to play. The story's there, but, you know, so I think you can have the best of all worlds, but it's an interesting inquiry nonetheless. Yeah. Chris, that's all I have for this week. That's all I have for Sacred Symbols this week, episode 36. It's not a very thick week. No, it's not a very thick week. Now, do you mean thick with the... When someone says something's thick with two Cs, does that mean the person's fat? It's fat with a PH. I see. (laughs) I don't have authority on this. I don't know what the hell. people still say fat with a PH? No. That was something that was like... (laughs) No, absolutely. Around the time you were born, I think. Absolutely not. I think by the time I was even remotely sentient, that was gone. All right, Chris. We will go now play Scrabble and begin our grudge match there. That will go up soon. 
Uh, we appreciate all your support. Remember, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Stand. Also, leave us nice reviews on free feeds if you can. For some reason, we don't show up in the iTunes Top 100 anymore, even though I'm positive we are downloaded more than many of those shows. Hmm. I am starting to think it's because we are marked as explicit. Oh, maybe. But nonetheless, leave us nice reviews because it does help us, and maybe we'll bump back up into there at some point, but I, I doubt it. It seems like we're just gone for good. Alas. Rip. Just like the Vita. Oh, well. It happens. Things happen. We appreciate you guys. We'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols. Be good. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is fan-supported over at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. CJ Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Ethan Barbie, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Will Caldwell, Luis Cancato, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Cutter Crow, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Daniel Delanicos, Mitchell Durkash, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Stefano Fantana, Fotios Frank, Connor Gagian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Toothless Gibbon, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Caleb Hager, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Justin Yeager, Greg Julips, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Christian Larson, Jackson Lastiqua, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Ashlyn Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Mark Liberto, Aaron Litwiller, Lewin Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mann, Peter Mark, Nicholas Mask, Joe McPartland, Wyatt McVeigh, Dennis Meinshin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Middling, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Israel Petrico, Jorge Palomino, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, James Perone, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Matthew Plaster, Lawrence F. Prokop, John Quinn, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Jonathan Rice, Toby D. Riebenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Michael Shanholz, Toby Schu- Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, John Tabanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Joseph Thayer, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Tam Tran, Adam Van Curen, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Mike Wayne, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Wyatt Henry, Throw7, Infinite, Mad Mock Media, Mubarak, Sticks and Crits, Richter86, That Rescue Guy, Andrew, Ian, Dav9834, Titus Rex, Donk2015, Gavin, and Random Guy Radio. You know, in the mid-90s, people were related to this, like, t- writing tags on notebooks and stuff. Like, I didn't tag anything. But everyone had like their fake tags because that was cool. Yeah. At least where I was. And my tag was fatty. P-H-A-T-T-Y. <laughs> oh, my God. And so I re- it was like a thing. Uh, uh, you know, like it was re- totally ridiculous. And I was like in fifth grade and I also lived in like Maine. <laughs> what the hell was I doing in fifth grade? I don't even remember the, like the majority of that part of my life at all. It's probably for the best. I remember I, trading Pokemon. That was it. Pokemon. Pokemon came out when I was in ninth grade. And now we have Pokemon Shield and Pokemon Sword coming out. Yeah. And then the Pokemon the Gun. Pokemon. What was that? I saw that someone published that, but that was <laughs> no, fake. It was like some. It was. I think some newspaper, some local newspaper, just found a meme that said Pokemon Shield, Pokemon Sword, Pokemon Gun, and, and then they thought that, it was like legitimate because there were awesome. three. Because there were Weapons. three Pokemon. Yeah, I, I like the idea though. Pokemon I love gun. a Pokemon Gun. Pokemon Gun. Pokemon Bump Stock. <laughs> <laughs>